0: From the Star Worldwide Network studios. It's time for Spirituality for Everyday
1: Living with Melinda Vale. As the medium who makes a difference, Melinda and her guests discuss practical spirituality and how it makes an impact on our everyday lives. And now, here's your hostess, Melinda Vale. Welcome to Spirituality for Everyday Living. We have a wonderful guest today. I am so pleased to tell you about Dr. Kevin Lehman, who is talking to us from his lake house in upstate New York, so we're all jealous of that. But let me tell you about this wonderfully acclaimed doctor, who is an internationally known psychologist, radio and television personality, educator, speaker, and author of over 45 books on parenting, marriage, and family living. He has taught and entertained audiences worldwide with his wit and his common sense psychology. Welcome to Spirituality for Everyday Living. Dr. Lehman, it's so nice that you could join us today. Thank you for coming on from New York.
2: Yeah, well, this is—I'll tell you the truth, Melinda. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you, first of all. But uh, this is my hideout. This is what—this is where I hide out from people. Yeah. But we have a mutual friends, uh, which uh, enabled us to hook up tonight. So I'm just glad to be with you. Um, I really sort of try to stay away from doing things in the summer, but uh,
1: I don't blame you. You know, and it's been so hot, hot, hot here. So we appreciate you coming. Th- in and talking with us, and there's so much to talk about because, you know, uh, spirituality and psychology should be braided hand in hand, and I think a lot of times people try to heal themselves in spirituality. I call it fruit Loops and Wind Chimes without doing the psychological piece and uh, working through some of their issues before they jump into trying to figure out who they are at a spiritual place. So I'm really happy to have you on. You've written so many amazing books. You've been on uh, The Morning Show, Today Show, Oprah, CBS's show, CNN, so many things. So we're so honored to have you here with us. You wrote a book about birth order. And I found that to be fascinating because, you know, I work with people uh, and talk about something called a karmic profile. Uh, nature and Nurture, and Birth Order certainly comes into that. What what caused you to be interested in Birth Order?
2: Well, uh, well let me say this about psychology to begin with. Uh, someone once said, if you took all the psychologists and psychiatrists in the world and you laid them end on end around the entire earth, it'd be a pretty good idea just to leave them there. <laughs> we, we don't have the greatest rep so to speak right but to answer your question and not meander which i'm very good at mer- mer- uh, meandering um my background is i graduated uh right at the very bottom well fourth from the bottom of my graduating class in high school i was 257 out of 260 if i recall I couldn't get in college, couldn't get in the technical college. That would have been a disaster. Uh, finally got in college on probation with a 12-unit load mm-hmm. with a letter that said, clearly, listen, uh, we don't think this is a good idea, but we're going we're gonna to give you a break here and we'll see how you do. And if you pull C average or better, you're good. And if you don't, you're out. Mm-hmm. Proof of the living God, I eked out a C-minus average uh, during the freshman year with 24 units. And then I came back the next year. And unfortunately, during that year, the dean of students uh, threw me out for stealing the conscience fund, which is a a way too long of a story to go into uh, on your podcast. But long story short, a dean of students threw me out of Chicago. My parents had moved from Buffalo, New York to Tucson, Arizona. Mm -hmm. I had no place to go. I went there, got a job as a janitor, was making $195 a month, a month, Uh, was pushing a mop for about 18 months. And then my life changed. And this certainly gets into spirituality because uh, this five foot nine inch chick was walking down the hallway in Tucson Medical Center, and I'll show you, I'll demonstrate for you a male skill. Watch. <laughs> and I thought, whoa, where'd she come from? Uh-huh. Again, long story short, I found out what unit she worked on. I, I asked another janitor to introduce me to her. Uh in fact I paid him five bucks to do it. And that same very day, um, I was mopping down the men's restroom and who should come in but my future bride and she's helping some little old guy go potty she was a nurse's aide and so she was the one that really i think god used to trigger my whole life i i wanted no part of anything spiritual certainly didn't want a part of god at that time of my life but our uh, a metamorphosis took place mm-hmm. and i all of a sudden had motivation and went back to school and of course part of this f- story that i think is sort of funny is 10 years later after that dean of students threw me out when i was just 19 years of age i was dean of students at the university of arizona wow so something happened you know i mean so i had a dramatic life change right But back to your question about birth order um i made i'm I got all my degrees in psychology, and uh, at the master's level, I met this guy. His name was Dr. Oscar Christensen, and he was my major professor, and he was a wonderful human being, as encouraging as one could get in graduate school, and the guy who really brought birth order to the psychological community was Alfred Adler. Mm-hmm. And Adler talked about striving for superiority. So, like when you were a little kid, Linda, and you were on a sand hill or a dirt hill, and maybe you called it queen of the hill, we called it king of the hill. Mm-hmm. The idea was to be on top of the hill. When the other kids came up, you sort of pushed them down. It was a game.
0: Mm-hmm. So, he
2: talked about striving for superiority. And if you ever read, Alfred Adler's writings. I mean, you need a PhD and then some just to understand a page of what the man is trying to say,
0: mm-hmm.
2: but I was either smart enough or dumb enough to take the teaching that I received from Oscar Christensen and uh, birth order made sense because my firstborn sister is a perfectionist.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, her kids were color coordinated from the day they were born. Uh, she was well organized. She was a planner. She was a straight-A student. And then my brother, who some would refer to as the middle child, but in some ways he was the firstborn son in the family and had my dad's name. He was a straight-A student. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't need to be a shrink to figure this out. You got two straight-A students above you. That's a pretty good setup to be the best of being the worst. <laughs> so I was a class clown, always in trouble. Like I said, I got thrown out of Cub Scouts. I got thrown out of fourth grade. Uh, they sent me home. <laughs> I'll never forget that day. It was really <laughs> <fun>. <laughs> I just went home. Back in those days, you know, uh, all parents, uh, all kids had moms that had house dresses and they were home.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But my mom was a superintendent of a convalescent home for children. She wasn't home. So, I went home and got my fishing pole and went down to the creek across from my house and went fishing.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: In and uh, the only thing I did, I should, I should tell you, this is sort of funny, because I was, again, the class clown. I would do way too many things just for laughs, Laughs, and I thought it'd be funny if I stuck my hand down my pants and wiggled my index finger out my fly at some girls. <laughs> Now, I'm telling you, Melinda, that is a straight ticket out of the classroom.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I would say so. <laughs>
2: so you know, I, I, I feared the principal, and I was out there for a few minutes, and I remember thinking, hey, he's going to come around the corner and ask me what I'm doing out here. I'm out of here. So I, I I walked home. So my whole life, it, it sounds like somebody just made it up, but it's, it's the gospel truth. So uh, I was a late bloomer, and— I was fascinated because when this guy was talking about firstborn children and how perfectionistic they can be and the kind of uh, uh, vocations they go into, there are pilots, there are engineers, uh, there are architects, anywhere where perfection is paid off, you're going to find a proliferation of firstborn children. Mm -hmm. National Academy of Sciences, our leaders, our politicians are firstborn in huge number. And then- my brother had some of the middle child characteristics, but most of his, quite frankly, were more firstborn son.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: He was very much an achiever. He was a clinical psychologist in his life, retired, did very well in life. Um, and then there was me. And when he's talked about the baby, the family, who loved the limelight, got in trouble, was simple, uh, charismatic. I mean, I talk my way into Disneyland when people say, oh, you've written 60 books and all that. I say, let me tell you what really counts in life. I talked my way into nine free tickets in Disney World. <laughs> it took me 20 minutes. I planned on 10. But if you and I would just name every comedian that we think of right now, almost every comedian that you and I would think of uh, Melinda would be youngest children.
1: Interesting. Well, I think that humor is the closest thing to the other side of the veil. I think laughter is the best medicine. So maybe God saves the best for last. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you know, those uptight older kids uh, really paved the way to allowing a little bit more relaxed and fun lifestyle for the younger ones.
2: Yeah, I actually think God was the original humorist when he when he conveyed this that. Uh, The two shall become one. Mm -hmm. That's really sort of funny because we are so basically different as men and women. Oh, yes. Uh, And, uh, of course, I spend a lot of my time talking to people about how to stay married. I've been married forever, Mm -hmm. uh, 50-some years in a row. Um, But
1: uh, Are you still looking that way when she walks through the room? Are you still doing this? Well...
2: You know, I'll tell you the God's honest truth. Belinda. it's embarrassing because when men meet my wife, she's five foot nine, and she's 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 a gorgeous woman to put it bluntly. And men, especially men, men are so dumb; they don't even cover that. It's like whoa! And but then they look over at me, and and they have this look on their face like,
0: hmm,
2: how did that happen? <laughs> Well, we say women have the ability to look inside better than men are blinded by the outside, quite yeah. frankly, often. And, and uh, she, yes. she saw something uh, in that janitor who had a cap tooth who, that had worn a hole through it. So I was a real looker in my janitor uniform with a cross broom and a mop on it.
1: <laughs> I bet you were. <laughs> yeah,
2: so, you know, uh, I spent a lot of my time trying to talk to parents about being an authority over their kids and authority again, is one of those words that nobody likes today, but it's a great word. And I spend a lot of time talking about people trying to stay connected. And I try to remind them that uh, feelings draw you together and judgments push you apart. And you've got to get behind each other's eyes and see how you see life. if You want to be happy in marriage, that's yeah. for sure.
1: Isn't that that uh, profound in a nutshell? Let me tell you. I, I want to know how I can have a new husband in a weekend, though. <laughs> that, that's what that's I, what you, you that's that. what you wrote about.
2: <laughs> you know, here's the thing that women need to understand: us men hate questions. We hate your questions. I, I don't know another way to say it. We don't like your questions, ladies. We just don't. And when you ask us a question. Our defenses immediately go up. Our first thought is, all right, what do I do now? I'm in trouble. And so, ladies, if you want your husband to talk, ask his opinion.
1: Ah, nice. There's not
2: a man on this earth that won't give you his opinion. Mm-hmm. Am I saying that opinion is right, ladies? I am not. But if you want that man to talk, ask for his opinion. And forget the why. We hate the why word. We hate it.
1: Why do you think that is?
2: (laughs) (laughs) She fell for that like a tall chicken (laughs) drop of egg. (laughs) Second floor. Uh yeah. It's just women are wordsmiths. The researchers Deborah Tanum's work—I don't know if you're familiar with Deborah—but she's written some nice books, and she was a researcher. And she said that uh, women use three and a half times the number of words that a man uses in a given day, week, month, year. Mm-hmm. And so, men are sort of the USA Today version of communication—the what, where, when, whatever. You know, hey, honey. Just tell me what you want me to do, and I'll do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the mentality that most men have.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And so women, a simple question like what time it is, some women would tell you how Big Ben was made, manufactured, distributed throughout the U.S., Canada, and the Virgin Islands. (laughs) And all the man wants to know is what time is it? Mm -hmm. So trying to – I wrote a book once called Smart Women – know when to say no. And that was another one of my observations about life, that women have a hard time saying no. And I've tried to teach women, there's a very healthy thing about you being able to say no to a lot of things. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, but boundaries are so important in spirituality, but I think women are trained to not say no, to always say, yes, I'll do it. Here I am. I can fix it. I want to help, you know, and they often negate themselves in the process.
2: Yeah, they apologize because it rained, and they were the one that kicked the day for the family reunion.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: It, it's their fault. So mm-hmm. they tend to be that if, if women tend to be pleasers, and they're not so much today pleasers as they were years ago, but if women are pleasers, men tend to be controllers.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I've never, ever— uh melinda heard a woman say to me behind closed doors oh dr Lehman, i just love the way harold controls me mm-hmm. that ain't gonna fly right never gonna fly and yet a lot of men are so darn insecure their idea of happiness is making sure that they're dominant mm-hmm. that they always get their way and of They make fools of themselves trying to get their way. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Nevertheless, personalities were all different. But birth order, I think people uh, always appreciated birth order. When I went to New York in the morning and did all those morning shows that I did regularly, if I wasn't talking about birth order, and I've written the actual number is 60-some books, but the publisher would always tell me, do not mention birth order. And the reason was what? Because the host, whether it was Barbara Wawa or Katie Couric or any of them, Mm -hmm. when they heard about birth order, they all thought it was so darn fascinating. They would just stay on birth order. And if you go and do New York TV, as you know, you get six minutes and you're done. Right. Mm -hmm. So you you just, they always warned me hey, don't mention birth order. Mm -hmm. Just talk about it a new book and blah, blah, blah. But it is a fascinating subject how these three or four little cubs could come out of the same den. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, what most people don't understand is that our perception of the same parent is different depending on where we come in to the world and how old our parents were. And
2: Not many people get that. mm -hmm. What you just said is downright profound because... What people don't understand is as soon as that number two child comes around, the family changes. Mm-hmm. In fact, this is just sort of a fun one. But here's a three-year-old kid, and he hears a new word, pregnancy. Mm-hmm. A big word for a three-year-old. And uh, he's told he's going to have a very special present.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: And nine months later, the thing comes home. <laughs> and the thing has its own room. Melinda, and the thing gets visitors and presents and all of a sudden that little three-year-old is thinking I think they're going to keep them. <laughs> I think it's permanent. You know, and that's where the sibling rivalry, in fact, you might enjoy this little uh, tidbit but when the birth order book went into the publisher rep with rubber bands and, and cardboard, that's how we used to do it years ago, The working title of the book certainly had a hint of spirituality in it. I entitled it, Abel Had It Coming. (laughs) And the publisher said, Lehman, you can't have a title like that. He said, I love the title. It's got a family flavor to it. Well, those firstborn children, and by the way, I had 17 editors in my writing days. I'm still writing, by the way, but um, 17 to date. And of the 17, 16 of them were firstborn or onlyborn children. Ah. And the other one was a liar. Mm. Wow. Well, firstborns love to find the flaws. They love red pencils. You know they're the flaw pickers so if you if you're a parent and you hear me describe a firstborn as reliable and conscientious and a list maker and all that mm-hmm. boy that shrink doesn't know what he's talking about because my little kid little buford is a slob he's late he's a sloppy well the best guess is that little buford grew up with a critical eyed parent
0: mm-hmm.
2: who could spot a flaw at 50 paces and that's one of the reasons why little buford didn't do the stereotypical thing of the firstborn. And what happens there is the secondborn many times, that little cub, that second cub in the den will leap over the firstborn and and really be more of a firstborn personality at the firstborn's expense, by the way.
1: Mm, Interesting, yeah. Mm -hmm. So my husband and I are both thirdborn and we've both been married multiple times. What are our chances of making it? (laughs)
2: say close to zero. Um, no. <laughs> you know, here, here's what happens. It's interesting. You you take your birth order with you. So you say, okay, we're both thirdborns. Well, that doesn't mean much until we figure out, well, what's above you.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Like if you had two older brothers.
1: I have older two school. older sisters. I come from four sisters.
2: Okay. Four he school. has two
1: older brothers.
2: Okay, this gets interesting, if you don't mind divulging your...
1: I love your it. Let's let us let people see that, for sure.
2: Yeah. yeah, well, number one, you either became a great fighter, or you really understood the word cooperation. Mm-hmm. Because that kid in the middle of four girls, oh my goodness... You won my score last week and you brought it home all wrinkled and I'm not gonna do that. I can see it. I mean the closer they are in years, that gets to be really interesting. A lot of competition. Mm -hmm. Now little children, by the way, they get a bad rap to begin with. But actually, they're sort of the peanut butter and jelly of a sandwich, of a family sandwich, because they negotiated and compromised for about everything they ever got in life. Mm They never had mom and dad of themselves. Mm -hmm. So the big ones usually dominate. The little ones got away with murder. So who cares about the middle child?
0: Mm -hmm. I remember
2: years ago, one of Oprah's uh, producers decided it would be fun to have the audience all sit according to their birth order. And when they introduced them, they introduced the, the only children and the firstborn children and the middle children. But when they introduced the babies to the family, the babies went crazy. (laughs) And and I just said to Oprah, I said, Oprah, I just proved my point about these little snots. (laughs) They just have to have attention. And I can tell you that I'm, I mean, look at me, I'm near death, but I will still do stuff uh, consciously and unconsciously just to get attention. Mm Mm-hmm it's embarrassing i mean i don't need attention i'm here hiding out in new york and yet if i showed you my boat out on the lake right now Mm -hmm. it's maroon has big white letters down the side of it it is the most photographed uh boat on chautauqua lake Mm
0: -hmm.
2: it's called the fat chick magma
1: i should be there
2: (laughs) Why would a guy on Social Security have a boat called the Fat Chick Man? <laughs> it's just part of. I love. I still like uh, people to laugh. I, I wrote a book once on early childhood memories, and you might like this. You're a, you're a thinker. Um. It might be fun to get your early childhood memories, So you think of that for a second while I talk about it. Okay. Your early childhood memories many times are a snapshot, a psychological snapshot of how you see life. My my first memory of life, I was three years old. It was a Sunday morning. I noticed I know it's a Sunday. And uh, I went out doors and the door slammed shut and uh-huh. locked uh-huh. my first door of this little home in Western New York state and I tried to get back in the house and all of a sudden I had to go to the john. had Mm -hmm. to go potty. So I'm pounding on the door. No one hears me. And to put it bluntly, I had a little accident. Okay. (laughs) Now I suppose a psychologist could have a lot of fun with that little accident, but you know what I put in one of my books, the postcard, that the Phil Donahue show would send you when they rejected you.
1: Uh-huh.
2: I was rejected 13 times before I ever got on the Donahue show. Wow. And when I got on the Donahue show, guess what? They re-aired it as the best of Donahue.
1: Oh. And
2: I had the whole hour. Most people would get a little bit on the show. I had the whole hour. So I have spent my life sort of knocking on doors. Yeah. Because uh, I was that, I was a, I'm a guy that's got a doctorate degree, but I lack a high school education.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, in fact, it's sort of fun. I'm putting together a high school reunion uh, for my class in this little town, Williamsville, New York, outside of Buffalo, having mm-hmm. it later this summer. And I'm in charge of it. But one of my books called Planet Middle School um, is for obviously parents of middle. School kids.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I found my freshman report card where I had flunked everything. <laughs> everything. My final. My final. Except grade for in life.
1: L- except for life, doctor. You have flunked everything except for life. You. You've had a good, You've made a good life. You stay. You. You are so lovely and entertaining and personable and amazing. I think you may have flunked everything except for life.
2: Yeah, I mean, I really did back in New York State. Maybe, maybe you can uh, remember what they did, but passing grade was sixty-five. Mm-hmm. In New York, you took Regents exams.
0: Mm-hmm. I
2: never took one Regents exam, not one. I took school exams because I was in there with the girls who ate paste in kindergarten, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? And my final grades in a couple of those classes were what they called a sixty-five. That was passing but they'd circle it mm-hmm. to let you know you really didn't pass But we're you <laughs> and you're moving along. That's the God honest truth. That's what they used to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So,
2: well, so tell me your early childhood memory. I'd love all to right. know.
1: Well, I'll tell you. First of all, I, um, I was born in 1954. So, um, I'm on the uphill climb to heaven myself. And, um, When I was a senior in high school, I was 60th in a class of 800 students, and my parents never took me by the hand to go look at college whatsoever. I was expected to get married, which I did, and divorced 11 years later and didn't go to college until I had three kids in tow. But my best childhood memory is my parents had built a cottage on a lake, a small lake called Forest Lake in in Pennsylvania, right over the New York border, And we would go out there in the summer, and I would uh, water ski and swim and be on the boat. But I was always a secretive teenager and a secretive child. I did my own thing and never told anybody what I was doing.
2: Well, secretive is one of the main adjectives that describe a middle child. Mm -hmm. But I'd like you to go back to when you were two or three or four.
1: Okay. Give
2: Give me that little vignette. I remember the day that, or the time that.
1: Okay. So that memory is of having a birthday party where the neighborhood kid brought me a mink stole and little glass high heel shoes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, you were headed for stardom that early in life. <laughs> right? what, 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 now, give me a feeling that you attached to that memory.
1: Uh, I, uh, happiness. A feeling yeah. of happiness.
2: It, and for the record, lots of times people will share an early childhood memory with me and I'll say, well, give me a feeling or of that memory. And they say, well, I really don't have a feeling. I said, I got news for you. It's not a memory.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. It's
2: something a picture or it's something someone told you. But your memories are uh, little snapshots, psychological snapshots of who you are. Mm-hmm. And so I wouldn't be surprised if you had memories of you being in your room, whimpering on your bed,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, crying by
0: yourself—those
2: mm-hmm. uh, kind of things. And middle children find a way of how to navigate life.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, again, the, ex- the the expectancies your parents had for you is you'd go to high school, you'd get a job, you get married, whatever. Mm-hmm. After three kids, okay, now I'm going to school. Mm-hmm. Well. You learn a lot of lessons in that one, Mm -hmm. but you learn lessons beyond that, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and we continue to learn lessons about life. And you know, people are fascinated. I think that's why people love the birth order books so very much because everybody's got a birth order, and it's really based upon the fluid dynamic relationship you had with your parents and with your siblings. So, Mm -hmm. what could make more sense than your birth order? Mm
1: -hmm. It's the biggest karmic profile that we have. Um, And that, you know, uh, we have developed who we are from those times with siblings, parents, grandparents, teachers, all of those things uh, make us who we are in in the world, I think. And that's why I think it's uh, so important that you write about teenagers and how to help teenagers and what to do with your teenage child, because I think it's such a critical time, and oftentimes parents... Don't pick their battles wisely with their teenagers. And I wondered what your book was about, you know, parenting powerful kids and powerful teenagers. Like, what's your best advice to people about how to handle that?
2: Well, let's take a very traditional situation with a teenager. They're weird. They get weird about 11, by the way. Uh, And the kid slams the door in a huff, and there's a lot of drama. Now, I'll tell you exactly what most parents do. They get in the kid's grill and they say, hey, don't you be slamming the door in this house, young lady or young man, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And they take that authoritarian stance. What I've tried to share with parents is you got to understand their kids. They're going to do dumb things. They're going to say dumb things. So when the door slams, how about trying this one? Excuse me, honey. I'm not sure what that slam door meant. Does that mean you're sick of living in this four-bedroom home with premium Wi-Fi? Mm-hmm. Just checking. Yeah. So don't throw kerosene on the fire. Your kid says something really stupid. And listen, I wrote the book, Have a New Husband by Friday. Kids and husbands have a lot in common. I ask, them, <laughs> I ask women okay. this all the time. Is your husband capable of saying something really just but stupid okay and most women say holy much. yes he sure can I From say,
1: hour to hour
2: <laughs> the next time he says something really but stupid just look at him and go wow <laughs> fascinating you know you'd be thinking you're an idiot just don't say it so with kids i go back to Kids and husbands have a lot in common. When kids come home from school, what do parents say to the kids? Oh, hi, honey. How was your day today? They ask Mm -hmm. questions. What does a kid say? Fine. Mm What would you do in school today? Nothing. Mm -hmm. I mean, save your breath because what happens is your kid goes into their bedroom, locks the door, gets out their cell phone, and texts like a a woodpecker that's got a bad case of ADHD. (laughs) And they just sort of – they sort of – segregate you out of their life.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Parents say, well, what should I say to my kid when they come home? How about hi? Mm-hmm. You know, the kids will talk when they want. Yep. The kids come in your bedroom at 11 o'clock at night, and you want to go to sleep, and all of a sudden, your 17-year-old or your 15-year-old wants to talk.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You better listen because you don't get al- always get those opportunities.
1: That's right. My kids used to come get right into bed with me, even my boys, when they wanted mm-hmm. to talk. Yep.
2: Sure. So you got to be available. I mean, um, I think one of the things I'm proud of is, with five kids, I don't think the kids ever felt like dad's career or any of the busyness that was in my life uh, was more important than they were. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I mean, all five kids were here at my place in New York. They love hanging out with. Their old man. My youngest daughter lives in California. She's a toy designer, and when she heard about this reunion of these people that are about to die, our high school class, she said, "Dad, I wouldn't miss that for the world." Aww. So she, she's flying back here from Burbank, nice, uh, to be at that reunion. Nice. She's thirty years old. Nice. Now, she's finally she's finally getting married. Talk about times change. She. She proposed to him, which I thought was interesting. Hmm.
1: Good for her. Yeah. Good for her. Well, my oldest child is 50, and I think that he and I have always had the biggest issue between each other. I love him with all my heart, but boy, oh boy, was I a kid when he was born, and we were kids together. And I think that's part of what happens with the oldest child in the birth order.
2: Well, it, it was, but... Have you ever had the courage to take a piece of paper and write down your son's name
0: mm-hmm.
2: and Ms. Belinda? And now let's see just how much alike they really
1: Ooh, are. you'll be almost 90% on that, I would say. Yeah,
2: because what happens is the kid that we're most like is the kid we're going to butt heads with. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's what I'm saying. These little things come up, Say, oh, and your kid says something off the wall. Just say, oh, honey, wow, that's an interesting thought. You could be right. (laughs) You're not saying they're right. You're just saying you could be right. Right. That's what you have to say
1: with husbands too, right? (laughs) (laughs) You could be right, honey, but I don't think so.
2: (laughs) You can understand about this about your husband. He has no friends, okay? He has no friends. He has associates at best. He has his fishing associates, Mm -hmm. his bowling associates. His business associates, but two men out fishing in a lake, like out here, you know, they're out there for an hour. They don't talk. (laughs) Any kids? No, let's move. And then then you come home from your fishing trip and your wife says, well, honey, how was your day fishing? Oh, yeah, Bill and I had a great time.
1: (laughs) Nobody asked him why. Why do we need to move from this spot?
2: (laughs) What, What did you guys talk about? nothing no what do you mean no really what did you talk about i told you we talked about nothing honey you were with him for four and a half hours fishing what did you talk about (laughs) honey i'm telling you the truth we talked about nothing is it possible for a man to be with another man for four hours and talk about nothing absolutely yeah for two women highly improbable
1: right right we talk in depth to each other
2: oh yeah well one of the things I love basketball, and the University of Arizona always had a pretty good basketball team. And I would, at halftime, I would walk by the women's restrooms. And I'm telling you, Linda, the line was a half a mile long. Right. And women don't care if they're number 166 or 167 in line. What are they doing? They're talking, they're sharing, they're communicating.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm telling you,
2: there's men watching us right now. They walk in a restroom and there's two people in there. That's two too many. They
1: <laughs> uh, what is the, the What is your favorite book? Like, what did you write that you felt the most proud of, or you're the most stimulated to talk about, or what book is near and dear to your heart?
2: Oh, wow, that's a tough one. That's like saying, which one of your children do you love the most? But well, a, a, a couple of them come to mind. I wrote a book on leadership called The Way of the Shepherd. Uh, anybody who wants to be a leader, thinks they're a leader, wants to study leadership, the book is still in hardback from
1: 2004.
2: Mm. Now, if you know anything about the book industry, books will come out in hardback. They're out in hardback for one year, then they drop them in a the paper. Right, right. That thing sells like crazy.
1: Oh, that's awesome. Uh,
2: So that's a difference maker. The birth order book, obviously, Have a New Kid by Friday is a New York Times bestseller. And when you write books on family and marriage, the chance of having New York Times bestsellers are just not very likely. But in that book, I try to share with parents that they have to have authority. In our schools, we have these Lehman Academy of Excellence schools. We have eight of them, two in Colorado and six in Arizona. Mm
0: -hmm. But
2: one of the things I'm always telling our teachers is, hey, most school systems throw you in there, teacher, and say, hey, one thing before we start the first day of school, let me have your hands. And we tie their hands behind their back. At Lehman Academy, we give authority to the teacher. Mm. And I tell them, I said, you know what? You, You have to establish your authority in that classroom, and my advice to any teacher is never, ever say one word in that classroom until everyone is what quiet.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I shared the experience. I was speaking in Las Vegas; twelve thousand women in around round. Oh my goodness, the estrogen about knocked you over. <laughs> I was the only man in the whole place. I'm not kidding. And so, it's embarrassing. They have these three huge screens up there. Or I can see my chubby little body up there and it, uh, uh, over an over-enthusiastic introduction about how wonderful this guy was. Uh, they should ask my wife to write that introduction. Uh, but anyway, they finally, I mean, it comes to a point where it's over and, all right, here's our speaker, Dr. Lehman, and you can't really see them because you've got a spotlight in your face. Mm-hmm. You Hear them, and again, they're still talking. Mm-hmm. And I shared this with our teachers. I said, you know, it's the most embarrassing, unsettling, uncomfortable time to just stand there. You're not saying one word. But all of a sudden, their talking takes a dive and it becomes absolutely quiet. Right. As a speaker. Now I say something. And my words, I remember them that night in Las Vegas. I said, ladies. I've chosen as a topic tonight how to be a submissive woman. Uh. That <laughs> I got their attention real quick, you know. Uh-huh. So, but and that's just me using humor, right? Right. And humor, like you said, can open a lot of doors. It, it can close doors if you use it wrong. Yes. If, you, if you're not a funny person, don't try to be funny. It right. Doesn't work. Right. But I figured out that was a gift I had a long time ago. But uh, again, the point is. You have to establish authority of a parent in the home the teacher in the classroom mm-hmm. i don't care what do. take a look at our world today and ask how we're doing with authority not very well right. i mean
1: oh gosh no
2: oh gosh they they can't even sit down and have a cup of coffee together
1: right right
2: back when tip o'neill was around the you know the dems and the republicans would they, they might fight a little bit and then go out and have a beer together i
1: something. know it i know it for sure we'll kennedy longer. and goldwater having lunch together
2: yeah. By the way, I was up in Phoenix. I'm trying to think where I was. And I met Barry Goldwater Jr. You probably know him, right? Mm-hmm. And my goodness, does he look like his dad or what? I almost fell over when I met him. Yep. Oh my yes. Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, those of us, I mean you're in the business of trying to help people sort out life and find their way. And I am too, and mm-hmm. we can do it different ways. And, uh, but there's an awful lot of commonality. Uh, people want to know they belong, they have a place, and it's tough today because everything is so transitory. Mm-hmm.
1: And that they're safe. People want to want to be able to feel safe, and 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 safety is a big issue. I'm talking about emotional safety, spiritual safety. Uh, it's huge. You know, it's huge. It's just uh, people don't feel safe right now. It, no, it's it's very hard it's very hard
2: yeah, so, the reality is uh, in some of the cities I mean New York is uh, a prime example it's it's not as safe as it was mm-hmm. a lot of cities are are just uh, in a tough spot mm-hmm. So we're wrestling with authority again authority again there's a huge difference in being an authoritarian which will spark rebellion in your kids' lives, by the way. hmm spouses mm-hmm. Uh, or your workers mm-hmm. that you work with. But so will a laissez-faire permissive environment spark. Mm-hmm. Uh, so either extreme sparks rebellion. Right, right. Yeah. My pitch to people is maybe there's something, too, being in healthy authority, mm-hmm. Let your yes be yes, your no be no, I'm always asking parents on the on the ocean of life, I mean, do you have a port of call? Do you know where you're going? Mm-hmm. You're the captain or co-captain of the good ship family.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You're going to have mutiny on that family boat from time to time. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have to rescue the kids and bring them back on ship. I mean, but if you don't know where you're going, you don't have a vision, how are you going to get there?
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
2: So, uh, I had the privilege of... Uh, getting to know Herb Kelleher well, who was the former chairman of the board of Southwest Airlines, youngest mm-hmm. of four boys, by the way, and that's why he always had fun on Southwest Airlines because he insisted that the airline be fun. Yeah, but he he said something. I got to know him really well. He said, "Kevin," he said, um, "You know, at Southwest, I'm always reminding our people that we're in the service business. It's and." It's incidental that we also fly airplanes, right? And I never forgot that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, I'll tell you. I try to teach people in life. Uh, do, you mem- do you remember the TV show Our Magazine with Gary Collins?
1: I think so. Yes, I do.
2: And he, yeah, and it was. It's one of those shows, a sort of a variety talk show, and and I my my agent who booked me on shows. I was talking to her one day, I said, you know, I'd like to go over and do that show. It's in Los Angeles. I mean, it's a 45-minute flight from Tucson, it's easy to get to. And so I never heard back when it dawned on me and I called her, I said, hey, wait a minute, what about our magazine? Mm -hmm. And she said, said, they declined. I said, don't use big words with me, what did they say? (laughs) She said, well, they passed. And I said, say what? And I'll tell you what I did. Now, this goes back to birth order and the baby of the family. Okay. Now, the one thing, the talent, I'm the talent.
1: Right.
2: (laughs) I remember it's SAG. The one thing the talent doesn't do is call up the TV show. Well, if you're a baby of the family.
1: Then you do that, huh?
2: I called up the TV show, and I'll never forget the conversation, because a woman answered the phone, and and she said, our magazine and my first words to her were, "Could you help me?" <laughs> and I try to tell people if that's your opener, what's the probability of them saying, "No, I'm not going to help you. Drop dead, you creep."
1: Hundred percent. And We've forgotten how to ask for help, actually.
2: Yeah. So she says, "Well, how can I help you?" I said, "Well, I'd like to talk to Steve Clements. He was the executive producer of the show. I did my mm-hmm. homework." And she said, "Well, who's calling?" now here's where you got to get smart okay I said uh, Mr. Nobody (laughs) she she chuckled she said excuse me I said Mr. Nobody N-O-B-O-D-Y nobody and she laughed a second time I said well actually I have a name my name is Kevin Lehman but I, I I'm really just a nobody but I'd love to talk to Steve and I point out to audiences that that woman that answered the phone had sheer power, and authority in her index finger. Yeah, And back in those days, they had those phones where you would push the button and get through. And she pushed the button, and with God as my judge, I talked to Steve for less than 120 seconds, and I was booked on the show.
1: Wow, great story.
2: So can you help me? I mean, you have to, ladies, you know, sometimes you feel like nobody's on your side, you went through a rough marriage or you're going through a divorce or whatever, you better find some people who can align themselves to you and will listen to you and help you along life's way.
1: Absolutely. And God helps those who help themselves, as they say. So, well, Dr. Lemons, thank you so much for interrupting your beautiful vacation and joining us today on Spirituality for Everyday Living. I must say that there are many things I learned from you today. You know that humor is certainly the best medicine. I just love that you use your humor. Also, your humility is amazing with such uh, amazing work that you've done and I'm so honored that you joined me today. Thank you so much.
2: Oh, my pleasure. I listen, I enjoyed our visit. So, uh Good. We have we have these mutual friends that will always be held yep. in high regard for me. So.
1: Yes, and so hopefully we'll get to have a social time together. Thank you so much.
2: That would be fun, Melinda. All yep. right, bye-bye now. I'd
1: love that. So this is spirituality for everyday living, and use your humor no matter what your birth order is. Help yourself because God helps those who help themselves and never give up. Lessons from Dr. Lehman. Have a great day.